Well, welcome everyone again. Like I said, my name is Andy. If it is your first time, welcome, welcome. You know, I just, I can't say this enough times. You know, sometimes I get up here and I preach a hard word, but I just love being your pastor. Like just sitting there worshiping, like about to step on stage. I'm like, man, I just consider it such a humble opportunity to, to be the lead servant here. You know, and I think a lead pastor, I know that's what God's called me to do, to serve you all, to pray for your families, to show up for you. To, to speak life into you. And so Leanne's and I just, we love you, man. We love being your pastors. Two quick announcements before we jump in. On that same note, number one, we are restarting circles again. So you can see these cards at the host table. I know a lot of us are, are brand new. Maybe you came at the grand opening, or not the grand opening, but the one-year anniversary. Can we get up for that one time last week? One year, come on. We just celebrated the one-year anniversary of one church. I know there's a lot of new people like looking for their next step. One of the next steps is we have circles. This is our version of small group here. And we have different schedules, so some of the couples maybe have restarted. Some of them are, are, were taking a longer break from the holidays. Some of them just went straight through the holidays, so shout out to them. But we want you to know this tagline, the circle is always open. There is room for here. There is room for you here. Like if you're a, a brand new believer, if you're like, I don't even know what I believe about Jesus yet, just know you are loved and there is a place for you. You can find more info about that on the website. The second thing is this. We have prayer cards by those black boxes by the doors. And I know we offer prayer at the end of services, especially if you gave your life to Jesus. But I know some of us are like, I'm not really ready to talk to someone face to face. I just have a deep, you know, a prayer request that's just really heavy on your heart. Please write it on this paper. Drop it off in that black box. And myself, Leans, or someone on staff will get back to you. We love you. We want to serve you. So would you just bow your heads as we jump in to the message? God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you are on the throne, Jesus. I know I had a really hard week this week, Lord, but I'm just so grateful for your grace, that your mercy is new this morning, Lord, that we can't walk in here and earn anything from you. But it's all a free gift that comes from your hand, that James says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. God, I just pray for this morning that you would hide me behind your cross, that I would not get in the way of what you want to do, but you would speak clearly and boldly through me, not for me, but for the people in the room and those who are watching online, that they would hear a word from you. God, we know your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it's alive and breathing, so we can speak to our situation today. God, I know you have a word for every single person that's under the sound of my voice. We give you the glory in advance. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen. Welcome back to this series that we are in. I just started out like a game show. I've never done that before. Okay, welcome back to series called Win. I've never done that before. Here we go. We are in a series called Win, win. Everybody just turn to your neighbor, just tell them it's time to win. We're not losers out here. Come on, it's time to win. And the grace of God, I know it's a funny way to start, the grace of God in our first couple of messages, we really talked about how the grace of the Lord isn't just to forgive us, right? But it's meant to empower. Everybody just say the word empower. We do a lot of call and response here, so just get ready. We're going to dive into it. I realized watching last week's sermon, I asked, are you with me, like 25 times. I apologize. That is just, there is no excuse for that. Like, literally, I was like, oh my gosh. I asked them, are are they with me, like every two minutes about. So I know that when I get deer in the headlight looks, like you're actually paying attention. I'll just assume you are from here on out. If I say, are you with me, just somebody like raise your hand. Be like, hey, we don't need you to say that anymore. Okay, all right. But it is time to win. The grace of God is not just to forgive us, right? But it's meant to empower us to overcome. 
And this isn't a self-help talk like, oh, now I get to be the best version of myself and my dreams are all going to come true. It's like, no, no, no. God did not set us up for failure. When Jesus died on the cross, here's the thing that bothers me so much. We only celebrate the empty tomb one day a year. Think about that. Oh, it's Easter. I remember that Jesus walked out of that grave. Oh, praise God, right? It's, it's, it's good, but it's like, no, no, no. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus, that we don't have to walk around going from bummer to bummer, but go from glory to glory. Are you with me? Uh-oh, I just said it. That was a test. That was a test. Just, yeah, just say, I'm with you. Andy, I'm with you. But I really do think that most people, when they look at Christians in the world today, they see Christians going from bummer to bummer instead of going from glory to glory the way God created us to. That the grace of God is not just for failure, but it's actually to, everybody just say, overcome. To overcome. So here's the title of the sermon this morning. And this is a a word that God was preaching to me this week. You got to know this, that when I step up on stage, I'm a work in progress. 99, if not 100% of all the sermons I preach was something God was teaching me that week or weeks in advance where I'm looking into a mirror saying, God, I am broken, flawed. I need you to speak into me in my messed up situation. So I, I stepped into the same boat with you this morning to preach this word called covenant over contract. Covenant over contract. We're going to be in 2 Samuel this morning. If you have a physical Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the context of where we're picking up is, last week we talked all about 1 Samuel, and we're, we're, we're on a journey into David's life. So if you're brand new to church, David is this shepherd boy that was anointed to become king, and he was kind of overlooked, and God said, no, no, this is the guy who is just tending his father's sheep, he's looking after the flock, and God says, this is the guy that's going to become the ruler of my people Israel in the Old Testament, and when I say David, most people think of what? Goliath, right? And we talked about that last week, but we saw that David throughout his whole life, he was tested over and over, not in public, but in private. And last week we talked about how David was presented this opportunity to rush what God wanted to slow down. That David was anointed to be king around 16 to 18 years old, and he's presented with two different opportunities to actually take Saul out, and David does the right thing behind closed doors where no one can see. How many of you know this morning that your character is defined by what you do when no one's watching? It's really easy to do good works when, when the person at Kroger's like, did you see that? They just paid for someone else's groceries, and the whole checkout line's like, oh my God, you know, are you with me? But, but what about when nobody's watching? Like what about, and I shared this story last week, when you accidentally get something in your trunk that wasn't scanned by Kroger, this was my opportunity where I could have done the wrong thing and God convicted me and said, Andy, you better go back in and scan that at the checkout line. Who are you when nobody sees? That's my question for you this morning. Who are you? Who are you under pressure? Who are you when you lose? And this is where we're going to pick up because David did the right thing behind closed doors time and time again. But in this moment where we're going to pick up this morning, later on in 2 Samuel, he didn't. He actually sinned against the Lord. We're going to be talking about the story of David and Bathsheba where David made the worst mistake of his life. 
So here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and here's what it says. After the king was settled in his palace, this is referring to David. David is wealthy, he is rich, he is anointed, and he is blessed. And the Lord has given him rest from all of his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Nathan was someone that he trusted that could speak into his life, someone that we would probably just say, hey, they're in my inner circle. He said, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit in chapter 7, verses 18, or 8 through 17, excuse me. Now then, tell my servant David, this is a word from a prophet Nathan to David. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says to you. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock. We just talked about this. Appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies before you. I mean, if you look in chapter 8, it's literally a list of all of David's wins. All of the victories that God gave him. He said, I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great. Do things that you didn't even ask for. Like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they could have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the point I appointed them leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies again. The Lord declares to you that he will establish a house for you. Now you have to know that there's, this is like a double prophetic moment. When I say prophetic, I just mean a word from the prophet that is foretelling the future of what God will accomplish. So he's referring to Solomon, David's son-to-be, that he would actually rise up and come through his lineage. But this is also a prophetic connection to the coming of the Messiah, that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came to die in place of what we deserve on two pieces of wood, Jesus came through the lineage of David, right? A broken, flawed, insecure, messed up dude. The Lord came through his lineage. It says this, I will raise up your offspring, verse 12, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. So Solomon, also we see Jesus in here. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod, wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love, everybody just say, but my love. This is really important to the rest of the sermon. I just want you to remember that phrase. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this revelation. Now here's what I want you to know from this giant chunk of scripture, just this one phrase. This was a covenant. Everybody just say a covenant. Covenant. This was a covenant from God to David. Now if you look back, you see these different covenants with Moses, with Noah, now with David. Now we live today, I know we're reversing in the Old Testament, but today we live in the new covenant. Just turn your name, just tell them it's the new. Just make sure they know. It's it's the new covenant. Like we're not living in, in, in David's covenant, but we're gonna learn a lot of details from how he handled this. You ready? This is David's response in in chapter seven. He says, he sat before the Lord. He said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? I mean, the grace and the mercy, the abundance you poured out on me. What is my family? Like, I've messed up. I've done some things wrong. I don't deserve any of this. And, and then is what he says in verse 19, and if this were not enough, you would have also spoken about, and you did, you spoke about the future of my lineage, the house of your servant, this decree, sovereign Lord, for a mere human. Now, I want to talk to you about the MBA for a second. Here we go again. There's this thing. 
There's this thing called a 10-day contract. Anybody ever heard of a 10-day contract? It's really interesting because basically a team is in need. They're like, dang, we got to make the playoffs. We're trying to win the championship. We just need like some guy to come in here, and we're just going to see how good he is for like 10 days and then see if like he belongs on our team or not. Like, let's just see how he does. 10 days. Now, I looked up the salary of a 10-day NBA contract. Don't, you don't want to know that number, all right? That's another story. Shout out to all the teachers. Give it up for the teachers one time in this house. All the teachers are like, I hate the NBA. Nope. <laughs> Professional sports, man. So here's the thing that's really interesting, though. This is a 10-day period where they want the player to prove to the team why they matter and why they belong. Think about that. Now, in the sports world, that's like, yeah, I mean, he's trying to earn a job. you got to, like, turn in your resume. you got to show what you can do. Like, throw back to eighth grade tryouts. You know, they're throwing the ground balls. You're, like, in the, in the middle school gym. Okay, nobody. All right. Here's the first point that I want you to understand. Wherever you're coming from, believer or not, maybe I'm talking to someone that's like, Andy, I don't even believe in Jesus. We can agree on this. We live in a performance-based culture. Today, 2023, think about America. It's all about climbing to the top, making sure you make a statement that we know what you do, right? So think about this. We travel a lot as a family. We go, you know, on different uh, conference trips, and we just got off of a vacation. I love flying on planes because I always pray, like, Holy Spirit, just put us next to someone that maybe we could share an encouraging word. And sometimes it's vice versa. They're encouraging us. But I think no matter who you sit next to on an airplane, right, anybody have that awkward moment, you're like, I'm in the middle seat uh, everybody else is looking at you in Southwest, right? They're like, anybody have a, a flight attendant recently that's just like, everybody sit down. Everybody sit down. The, we're going to have turbulence. Any, okay, that was me going from Orlando. Okay, all right. No, nothing's landing this morning. Here we go. <laughs> this is really interesting though, right? If you're on an airplane, you turn to the person next to you, you don't know them. What's the first question they ask? Where, where are you from? Okay, what's the next question they ask? They ask this, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? I actually sometimes dislike telling people what I do for a living because they're like, they hear the word pastor, guard up. Oh, you're a pastor? That's cool. Are you like a priest? Do you wear like a collar? Are you like, are you like really like, and then they're like analyzing everything that they just said to me. If they swore, you can see them like replaying the last three minutes. Okay. What do you do for a living? But here's the truth. This is the cold hard truth is we attach identity to career. Hang with me. I mean, think about your Instagram, your Facebook bio, wherever you're on. Someone just asked me if I was still on Twitter. I was like, I have not tweeted in four years. All right, but here we go. What is in your bio? Maybe you're not on social media, but I think, like, let's just be honest. What does it say? Here's, here's why I wrote my notes. Life coach, parent of two, Jesus and coffee, right? It's like, I don't know. I just made that up. Marketing director, fashion designer, and like hustle hard, right? It's, but we always put what we do defining who we are. Think about that. If you're not working a full-time job, I am a mother, I am a homeschool mom, right? Like, like just fill in the blank. To get really real, this is one of my biggest pet peeves. People that are homeless. And we call them homeless people. Now, there's something so backwards about that because we're actually attaching their current circumstance to define who they are. They're not homeless people. They don't need us to say, I actually helped a homeless person. No, you help someone who's in need, who currently doesn't have a house. Are you with me? 
Uh Uh-oh, I said it again, number two. That's my second strike. And here's the truth. Here's the way I said it in my notes. When identity is attached to performance, we become our wins and losses. Let that sink in. Anybody ever seen the, the Michael Jordan, I took it personal video? And I took it personal. Every single, MJ, you couldn't win defensive player of the year. He says, and I took it personal, right? It's like over and over. It's like this funny meme. But it's so interesting. As you look into this, this is the thing that I was thinking about when I thought about the life of Jesus is we must detach who we are from what we do. Look at this. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, we just talked about this, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. Let's just read this whole last part together. With him, I am well pleased. Now, I said this before, but again, this moment, when Jesus receives, in this moment, yeah, he's fully God, fully man, but he is actually receiving identity in this moment from the Father, validation of identity, I should say, in a better, theologically more correct way, that before Jesus did any public ministry, let's just throw this on the screen, Darren. Before Jesus did any public ministry, his Father said, I am already pleased with you. You didn't do anything to earn my validation. This is what Maverick City Music says in the famous song, Gyra. They say this, it doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. And I know at first glance, it's like, oh, that's a worship song. But like, like think about the depth of that. That in American society, to get someone to be proud of you, for them to say, great job, you have to earn something often. You have to show them, prove to them, and I took it personal, right? Are you with me? Strike three. God doesn't take, he doesn't need a trophy to say, this is my son whom I love. You were already bought with a price. Scripture's really clear that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It it doesn't say, when we came to Jesus, asked for forgiveness, and then we said, Jaira, then he forgave us. It says, no, 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 that while we were yet sinning, rebelling, cheating, manipulating, stealing, God said, These are the people that I love. I love the way that Maverick City describes that. So here's where I want to land with the idea of a contract. We treat our relationship with God like a contract and not a covenant. That's a perfect chance for me to take a drink of water. We can time that out. That's great. But it really does pain me when I think of America and how many people have believed in a works-based gospel. I do good, God loves me. I do wrong, God is displeased with me, he hates me, he'll never bless me, protect me. And yes, there is blessing for our obedience. That's, that's true in scripture. But we have to separate blessing from obedience from God's covenant love that he freely gives to us, right? A contract It's transactional. A covenant is relational. A contract is performance-based. A covenant is acceptance-based. Now, let me just get really transparent with you this morning. Last week was our one-year anniversary, right? That was awesome. Sunday afternoon, you know what I was doing? And this is so sad. I was critiquing every little part about the service. 
myself. I sometimes really dislike watching myself preach because I'm like, why did I say it that way? Why did I ask them? Are they with me 25 times, right? I only did it three times this morning. Okay, come on. But here's the thing. I was critiquing my performance when God was clapping for obedience. I mean, that hit me. That I could be eating cake, celebrating with my church family, and feel like I failed when God said, you obeyed. In the world, performance is success. In the kingdom, obedience is success. And here's the word that God dropped in my spirit this week. I pray this sets someone free. Before we even put this on the screen, don't put it up yet, Darren. Think about right now how much you have been measuring yourself. Maybe you don't have a job right now. Maybe you feel like you're not performing the way you want to as a spouse, as a brother, as a sister, as a coworker, as a teacher, whatever you're doing, as a nurse, as a doctor. Like, Just think about the weight of performance. Just feel that. Now let me give you this word. Faithful and flawless are two different things. Like last week, God showed me, Andy, you were faithful. You preached what I wanted you to preach. You love people to the best of your ability. You were faithful, well done. But there's a difference between being faithful and flawless. I am not flawless. And we reverse these words. And we think, if I'm not flawless, if I read my Bible, 60 minutes perfectly, no distractions, no one texted me. It's like, no, 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 this isn't legalism. Jesus died for you. He loves you. This is a relationship. This is not a religion. This is not a set of rules to say, did I measure up? That's where the Pharisees were all wrong because they wanted to buy salvation when they couldn't. They wanted to earn it by all the great ways. Oh, we've been keeping the law, Jesus. We've been keeping the law. But Jesus said, no, no, no. You have to admit that you can't fully keep the law. And that's where grace comes in. Where you admit, God, I cannot do this in my own strength. I am not perfect. And I think a lot of Christians, I felt this on my heart this week. This is a different kind of message. But I felt like so many people here this morning, you have bought into a lie of perfectionism. Perfectionism and sanctification are not the same thing. Sanctification, it's a fancy theological word to just say, over time, I am becoming more and more like Christ in the way I love people, in the way I serve people, in the way I talk about people. I am not a perfect person. There is one sinless, flawless person. His name is Jesus Christ, the only one under heaven, on earth. We're just looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, I just want to be more like you. I want to forgive like you. I don't always celebrate people the way I should. I am a flawed person. But Jesus comes alongside us and says, it's okay, you're a work in progress still. That I come alongside you. The Holy Spirit is, is the paraclete. He comes alongside. And the way I've thought about it in my mind is the further you go into your relationship with Jesus, it's almost like the lights just get turned on a little bit more, one step at a time. And you, over time, are realizing, I'm a really sinful person. Wow. Like, I, I had no idea until I met Jesus because he's perfect, flawless. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I don't talk about people the way I should. And I don't, I don't give the way I should. Like, I hoard things, right? But don't fall into perfectionism. Like, sometimes I think Jesus has forgiven us for something that you have not forgiven yourself for. I remember literally preaching a sermon in Muncie, delivered the salvation call, and we did communion that Sunday. And this lady, I've told this story before, she had not taken communion for 10 years. She claimed to be a believer. She did not feel worthy 
But, but, but that's so reversed because the only thing that makes us worthy is the blood of Jesus. That I can actually approach the throne of God. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't even have to come ashamed and say, God, like, yes, there's reverent fear to this, but I can come, Scripture says, boldly before the throne because I've been forgiven. That I have the robe of righteousness now. That, that grace has actually covered me. That, that the Father sees me through the lens of the cross. He doesn't see me for my sin and my shame and my baggage. But he sees his son. Aren't you thankful for that? But here's what happens. We buy into a works-based gospel. And then we get to the point where, if we're honest, I think a lot of us, including myself, man, you look back to your childhood And because you felt like a failure in your childhood, you feel like you have to prove to everyone else why you're a winner now. Like at work, you're searching for validation. You want your boss to like see that that report that you did. Like, did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? It's like, no, 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 no. Scripture says, don't let the left know what the right is doing. Like, Like humility is saying, I'm okay if my father is the only one who sees this. Thank you, Jesus, that there are moments of obedience that no one has ever seen that I actually don't want my reward here. Like Jesus says, some of you have already earned your reward here on earth because you walk around searching for validation from person to person to coworker to leaders. They don't need to know what you did. But he knows. And here's what happens. An absence of validation turns to desperation. And then you walk around. Like, man, they, they didn't give me the compliment. Did God say that they needed to compliment what you did? Right? No. This is for him. This is for an audience of one. This is to receive the crown of glory that will never fade because when we meet Jesus face to face, the only hands that are clapping that matters is the ones that are nail scarred. Man, that's what I want. When I meet God face to face, I want to put aside what they thought of me, the, 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 the job they thought I did. God, I put all that aside and say, Jesus, I was trying my best before you. I wanted to be faithful. I pray that he puts a crown on my head that I can lay back at his feet and say, God, it was by your grace that any of this happened. So someone this morning, you just need to hear these three words. You are enough. God does not need you to do a fancy dance memorize the entire Old Testament, come to him and say, I started a small group, God, do you see what I'm doing? No, no, no. You were love before you did any of that. That he was pleased with you, not because of anything, but just by the blood of Jesus. He says, this is my daughter. This is my son. And this is where oftentimes when, when even females don't have that, that earthly validation from their earthly father, they go from relationship to relationship church to church, right? Because they didn't hear, I'm proud of you. I love you. You are enough. So, so we spend our whole life just like, is anyone going to show me I'm enough? Is anyone really going to like tell me who I am? It's like, no, no, no. Our validation comes from above, not horizontally. The, the pat on the back is just the cherry on top to say, thank you, God. You surround me with the church family that sees me, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the question I have for you is, who, who set those expectations? Like the weight of performance that you feel this morning? Who set those expectations? Was it Satan? Was it someone else? Was it you? Was it God? As I get further and further into ministry, I'm just realizing, God, like, can I just live for your expectations of me? But when you live for just the validation of the Father, you have to actually bear the weight of when people are disappointed, mad, right? Who set those expectations?
So I want to show a quick video this morning of someone that I think has experienced this. Let's just play this video, Darren. I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, it's, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things, but there's a, I know, I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team, and, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find and different ways of expression, being around. I know what ultimately makes me happy are family and friends and positive relationships with, with great people. And I think I get more out of that than anything. So here's the interesting part about that video. Another part of that 60 Minutes interview, Tom Brady explained how as a child in his early years, he was often overlooked, undervalued. Oh, they never picked me, right? He went to Michigan. I don't know who's a Michigan Ohio State fan. I don't care which side, all right? I am totally neutral, but Tom is literally explaining, like, man, like, in my childhood, I've always felt doubted on. I've always felt like I just had to prove myself. Here's the second point for us this morning is this. When performance is your identity, winning is never enough. It's never enough. You need one more time for the pat on the back. You need one more Super Bowl ring. You need one more time for the 80,000 people to say, look at who that is, right? And, and I think God is just so desperately wanting to get our attention sometimes. Like, I already said who you were, and that's all you need. That's all you need. And, and to take it a step further, I'd say that sometimes the most dangerous thing might not be losing, but winning at the wrong thing. that you become so desperate for validation, you become so desperate for likes and compliments and people to see you and notice you and say, this person, look at that, look at their business, look at everything, right? When you are desperate for validation, you will go to drastic measures. And let me just remind you, I'm preaching this sermon to myself. I'm not just saying, look, look, someone in here. No, 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 like this is something I needed to hear this week. Who set those expectations? Now this isn't in... The notes to be up on the screen, but I'm going to read you this passage. If you have a physical Bible, you can follow along. First Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 11, it says this. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around. So you just got to know, David was winning. He was rich. He was wealthy. He had it all. I mean, just like Tom Brady, it's like people would consider him like, dude, you made it to the top. Like, you've accomplished what you're supposed to accomplish. One evening... It just wasn't enough. He got up from bed, walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him and slept with her. And he came and slept with her. And then he went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Now, later on, he even kills her husband, and all this crazy stuff breaks out. David just made the worst mistake of his life, y'all. No excuse. This was an affair, complete rebellion from the Lord. Here's the third point. Just continue to track with me. True winners need a safe place to fail. Now, I noticed I didn't 
put that up on the screen. True winners, just hang, hang with me for a second. You need a safe place to fail. Like, and I'm not saying there's any excuse for what David did. There is no excuse. That David actually owned it, and we're going to talk about that. But who, like, just think about this right now. Who is your safe place in your life right now that you can be exactly transparent? Maybe it's your family. Is it your spouse? For me, that safe place is my family. I cherish them more and more every day because sometimes you go home as a pastor and you feel like a failure. You feel like you, you, you messed up or you did something. Like, man, when I come home, I have my girls that just say, Andy, like, we know who you are apart from what you do. Let me just say that again. Do you have people in your life that know who you are apart from what you do? So that when your performance isn't the way you think it should, can they remind you, speak truth and love and say, I know you messed up. We're not going to brush over that, but I know who you are apart from ministry. Like, I know who you are apart from being a teacher. I know who you are apart from being that nurse, that doctor. This is what I needed this week. A safe place to fail. So Nathan said to David, you are the man. Second Samuel chapter 12. We can put this up on the screen. He said to David, you are the man. This is David's safe place to fail. He tells this whole story and Nathan's so savage because he's like telling this like parable and David's like, yeah, like that dude deserves to be punished. He goes, you are that guy, right? Now that was like, please, I don't know if we should do that in accountability groups today, but it's pretty funny on a lighthearted note. But, but Nathan is David's safe place to fail. He says, you are the man. You are the one that the Lord appointed over king, over Israel, delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of this. And if this had been too little, catch the heart of God here, I would have given you even more. Like, if that doesn't show the grace of God in that moment, he just made the worst mistake of his life. And the Lord is not, like, I just picture the Lord so broken. Like tears running down his face, like, David, I gave you everything, and it wasn't enough. You just wanted more and more, and, and another Super Bowl ring, and another pat on the back, and another person to say, I got someone laughing, Super Bowl ring, all right? He didn't, did he have Super Bowl rings? Maybe, I don't know, right? But here's what I want to ask you this morning, very transparently. Who can you confess a loss to that can speak truth and grace, not just truth? In our friend groups, in our family, let's just be honest, most of the times you only get one or the other. But you need both because Jesus came full of truth. Everybody just say full of truth and full of grace. I say this often that you can come to Jesus just as you are, yes and amen. But when you meet Jesus, you don't stay where you are. And that's where people believe half of the gospel. Well, Jesus said, I can come to him as I am. Yes, then he says, pick up your cross, die to yourself and follow me. Truth and grace. Not just, hey, do whatever you want. I've forgiven you. But actually, no, no, that's not okay in my kingdom. That doesn't fly. That, that, that's not what I came to be sent for. Here's the fourth point. True winners also have the humility to own the loss. You ever play like a board game with someone and, you know, they lose and they're like, well, if I just had like the longest train, anybody play Catan? 
You play in a video game with someone, right? I'm not going to use a sports analogy, okay? Catan, maybe you're playing. Sorry, I don't know, right? What else do people play and watch besides the NBA? I don't know, maybe it's just me, all right? But, but like, I play Catan, and, and, like, isn't it the worst when you just, like, encounter, like, a sore loser? You're like, you win. Like, you won fair and square. The other person's like, but, I mean, like, it, it wasn't my day. Like, the acoustics just weren't good in here. And, like, I just, you know, I, I had too much coffee this morning. Like, we'll play again, right? Isn't that the worst? But David, David owned it. Worst mistake of his life. And here's the truth. I think this is so true as we looked at Scripture. Character is often revealed more through losing than winning. That the most classy, character-filled, spirit-filled, fruits of the Spirit moments that you see all throughout history is not when they win, but it's when they failed. How do you respond after a loss? This is the question I had to ask myself this week. I think we have different options that the enemy sends our way. Five different options. Talked about this back in October. Number one, when we fail, maybe it's going to binging. I just got to distract myself, get the Netflix on, get the Oreos out, get the ice cream on, and just make sure, like, I'm not going to think about it, right? You know, hey, I've done that, okay? Number two, you blame. Well, it's, it's their fault because it just, like, no, no, no like, like, teams are not fun to work on when you're just playing the, the blame game. Or three, maybe it's just break. And let me just be honest, totally transparent with you, I have done all five of these things several times in my life. I have. And it's sad, right? When you begin to like look in the mirror, and you're like, dude, I've done all of that. Like I've blamed other people. You can break. It's just like, it's just so overwhelming. You break. Four, you blow up, right? You, you bottle it in to the point where it's just like, dude, like, like you're, you're getting mad at somebody that didn't do anything wrong, but you're mad at something else, right? You blow up on people, and it's like, no, is that even the issue here? Are you like blown up because you're mad about something else? I've done that before. Number five, maybe you just bolt. I'm out. This is the really sad truth is some of us see our marriages as contracts, not covenants. Let us answer to God for that, right? I think there's a generation that's rising up in the world that says my marriage is a contract. Like the moment it gets tough, if there aren't as pretty as I thought they were, if, if like our conflicts aren't like the way I thought they would go down in premarital counseling, then like I'm out. Like I can do this. No, 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 this was a covenant that you stood in God's presence and said, not until conflict do we part, until death do we part. So 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He owns it. He doesn't break, he doesn't blame, he doesn't bolt, he just says, yeah, I did it. This is what he says in Psalm 51. This is his response back to God. If you look back in the Psalm, Psalm 51 is David's heart cry back to God. The worst mistake of his life, he says, you did not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. In other words, David is saying, you did not delight in good works and rituals just to like try to earn your approval. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice to you, God, is myself. A broken and contrite heart before you. Now, here's the beautiful part. Thinking about identity. Everybody just say identity. identity. Would you stand to your feet this morning? 
David could have been called all sorts of names in the Bible, right? He was an adulterer. He was a cheater. He was a thief. He was a murderer. He was someone that had an affair. Like you, you could put so many words to it. And yet David, get this, was still called a man after God's own heart. That, that, that doesn't make sense in the earthly, right? Psalm 51 goes on to say this, create in me a pure heart, God, not for people's validation, not for their, their pat on the back, not to say, dude, that, that person's awesome, but renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not take your presence from me. Now, this is really important theologically because what David is saying is, God, do not take your anointing and your love from me. Look, I know I've messed up. Don't take it away. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, here's what you need to know this morning. If this was a contract, God would have removed his love and anointing from David. But it was a covenant. It was a covenant. You need to know this morning that God pledges himself to us in a covenant, not a contract. We live in the new covenant now so that Jesus, fully God, fully man, the only atoning sacrifice for our sins, not Buddha, not Mohammed, not Judaism, not good works, not another religion, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I have come so that you would have life, life to the full. Yes and amen. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. And the Bible is really clear. When you confess your sins to God vertically, you are forgiven. But when you confess your sins horizontally, you are healed. A lot of people don't know that. Jesus, forgive us, right, for what we have done. We're going to be calling out in our own words here as we worship. But also, where's your safe place? Who is your Nathan that you can say, can we just put all the performance aside, all the expense reports aside, all the way that people are measuring how we're doing, people are watching. Like, like this is just who I am apart from what I do. You need people that can speak truth and grace into your life. And here's where I want to leave you. David signed in pencil when God signed in blood. Contract or a covenant? Would you bow your heads this morning? God, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus, because the truth is we just don't deserve any of this. We're broken, we're flawed, we're, we're messed up. We've cheated, we've lied, we've manipulated, we've made things look better than they should. We've, we've done it all, God, but I'm so thankful that Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. While we were, yes, sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just die for us, but he rose for us. And so with heads bowed right now, if there's anyone that wants to follow Jesus this morning, that you're just saying, if you're honest, I'm one foot in and one foot out for God. I've been for a while, but this morning God is calling some of us to draw a line to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm all in for Jesus now. If that's you this morning, would you just raise a hand? You want to surrender your life to Jesus? Maybe you feel like you're in David's shoes and you just need to say, God, I, I just need to give my life to you. Maybe there's someone that has believed in Jesus, but you've strayed from God. If you're being honest, it's become more about a ritual than a relationship. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? 
you just feel led to come back this morning. We pray this prayer together as a church family. So no matter who you are, let's all pray this with our heads bowed, just under our breath. Father, forgive me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that atoned for my sin. I repent before you. I'm not worthy apart from you. You died for me. You rose for me. And I receive your spirit. I will follow you all the days of my life. For the second response with heads bowed, I always want to give an opportunity for believers who are just feeling a weight on their shoulder. Maybe it's just, it's a perfectionism, it's a legalism, it's a works-based mindset. I'll never be good enough. I need more, I need more, I need more. And God is just calling out to someone this morning to say, you are enough. If that's you this morning, you just need to be freed from something this morning. Just raise a hand. Yeah, I see your hands. Anybody else? I'm right there with you. My hand is up. Father, I just speak over us, Galatians, where you say, let us not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, but let us stand firm in the freedom that Christ has given us. God, I just speak freedom over all the hands that were just raised, everyone online that needs that breakthrough this morning, God. We just come against perfectionism and anxiety and fears that are not of you, Lord, but you give us a Holy Spirit that's of power, love, and a sound mind. God, we claim that over us this morning, that, that we are more than enough, but it's just because you say we are. It's by grace through faith. Lord, I just pray that, that you would take those chains off of us, that we would walk in freedom, and it's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen and amen. If you are grateful that God says, the son whom I set free is free indeed. If you believe that this morning, just give him a shout of praise this morning. We are free in Christ, amen. Let's worship together.